preach on Jesus' name this morning. I hope I'm not too disappointed. We announced last Sunday that Brother Howard Bean's going to be here, but Howard Bean went home on Wednesday because of his mother's health. She's 104, and on Wednesday he told me she could be dying as we speak. And evidently she's hanging on for a while. At that point they said her body was shutting down, so evidently it didn't shut down completely yet. So Anyhow, she's 104. She said she didn't want to live to 105 because that's just too long. And... <laughs> So uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We uh, just remembering the Bean family this morning. Pray that you would be near to them as their uh, mother's and nearing the end of her life. Pray that you would give them grace, give them strength and courage. And I pray that this would be a time of uh, uh, drawing near to you. And I pray that you would just have your will accomplished. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of moving from this world to the next. We're not stuck here forever, but we have a lot to look forward to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, someone tell me what sermon I'm supposed to be finishing. I promised to finish the sermon a while back. What makes a happy home? And we talked to the parents last time. And I intended for this just to be talking to the children. But then I was given assignment to uh, preach on leadership in Bethany. The uh, program's in your boxes. Anyhow, I'm supposed to preach on leadership and uh, business and in the community. So, I don't know, I never had an employee, so I just, how do I do that? I'm not sure, but they thought I could, so whatever. Anyhow, anyhow, I was, uh, I was meditating, uh, meditating on principles that apply to employers and employees and uh, just thinking about people and um, how God looks at people. So are people valuable? This has something to do with leadership and business and in the community. Are people valuable or are they people are people disposable? And I like how how do I know uh, how God looks at people? Well, God, uh, Christ's walk on the earth here shows us what God is like and so I got to thinking about Jesus and children because this morning's sermon is about children and uh, 
my mind was drawn to Mark uh, 10, if you want to turn to that. It's kind of a little preface to the sermon here because uh, I think it has quite a bit to do with how we look at all this. Mark 10, 13 to 16 tells us that Jesus saw people as individuals. Value as individuals. And particularly children. And it says that they brought young children to him, Mark 10, 13, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. How would you like to have been that child? Or if he was a parent, how would you like if that was your child? No one was insignificant to Jesus. In Matthew 18, it says, Unless we become like little children, we shall no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure if that's quoted word for word. Unless we become as little children. Now, it doesn't say we are as little children. As we become, as, unless you as an adult, unless I as an adult, become, that's something we have to reach for. doesn't come automatic. Unless we become as little children, we're not going to get to heaven. And I was thinking about that. You know, I was thinking about our church and about the congregation and, you know, Jesus talking about who's important and who's not. And this is right before this. I think the disciples are bickering around. He's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, uh, So you want to see the kingdom of heaven? You notice this little group of people here this morning gave their birth? You notice that? Jesus says, you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have a preschool class. What he said? He said, they're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what's that do to us? You want to see the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Preschool class. And I got to think about that. And I'm thinking, you know, you know, we say, yeah, well, if you know, like a little child, well, you know, you don't hold a grudge. All right. So, and they forgive. And their faith is so simple. And, and it's straightforward. And, and 
But, but I got to thinking about that. Jesus says, the Bible says he was much displeased. That is the same word that is interpreted indignation. Now the Bible talks about people that were filled with indignation. The Pharisees were filled with indignation. The scribes and the Pharisees were filled with indignation when Jesus talked. The, the disciples were filled with indignation when one says, Can I have your seat beside Jesus in the kingdom? The rest of them were filled with indignation. Jesus was not a happy camper. One of the disciples says, Tell him to go away. He was much displeased. He was feeling feelings of indignation. So why is that? I thought about that, and I thought about... I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm not sure why he's filled with indignation, but I'd like to take a guess at it. And my guess is, Jesus was filled with indignation, or he was much displeased, because the disciples despised the vulnerable. They did not respect the vulnerable. What was this morning's Sunday school lesson about? A vulnerable person, right? That's what it was about. Poor man sat by the gate, want some crumbs, didn't get crumbs. He's a vulnerable person. And the rich man did not respect the vulnerable. Now that, that that's that, that's pretty basic. But then I'm thinking, or the Holy Spirit told me, or whatever. Uh, you know what? Unless you, Dennis Martin, are willing to make yourself vulnerable, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that doesn't go with the macho image. It don't. It don't go with the macho image. But you know what? Unless I, unless you, unless we as Christians are willing to make ourselves vulnerable, we will never be able to reach out to anybody. If I have to have my bases covered, if I have to have my way, if I have to have everything down the path. What would have happened if Jesus would not have made himself vulnerable? The Bible says he could have been. He could have had it all in control. He said, I can call 10,000 angels. But he's not chosen to be vulnerable. 
So whether you're an ordinary Christian, you're whatever, whoever you are, as a parent, any kind of leadership, any kind of whatever, we have to be open to attack or damage. If we're going to minister to somebody else. As long as I'm never going to get hurt, then Lazarus is still going to lay at the gate. As long as I'm not, as long as I'm not, I'm unwilling to be hurt, then the family meeting to try to to solve some kind of issues is not going to work. The church business meetings aren't going to work. Nothing's going to work because everybody's covering their own hide. But Jesus said, unless you have faith, unless you're willing to forgive, unless, you're un- unless you can, you, you can uh, not hold a grudge, unless you're willing to be vulnerable, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. That is so profound. Now the reason I said that is, is because I'm going to talk about children this morning. So unless I, as an adult, can apply what the preacher is asking the children to do, then I in no wise can enter the kingdom of heaven. See, it gets very practical. So I said I was going to preach to the children, but I decided I preached to everybody, including me. Alright, so I can't sit here and say, oh, okay, I hope the children are all listening. So what does make a happy home? Children who respect their parents. Respect their authorities. Their parents. Respect. Children, do you respect your parents? Are you grateful? For what your parents have done for you? So you know, children, that your mom probably changed between 2,500 and 3,000 diapers on you? Now, I was thinking last, uh, the last time I preached, now, if we, if we had 2,500 to 3,000 diapers on a pile, how big would that be? Just for one person. And if we had them all for everybody, how big a pile would it be? Hey, you can start doing the math, and I don't know how big, how much room, you know, whatever. We'll go and go there. But I'm just simply saying. If you ever get the idea that your parents don't care for you, and if you get the idea that, you know, I just don't like my parents. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were all very very vulnerable. Could you change your own diaper the day he was born, children? No. You depended on somebody else to do it. All you had to do is cry. Alright? 
So mom and dad have to figure out why you're crying. So, well, okay, well, they got a dirty diaper. So you got to change the diaper. Okay, so that's square one. You know, you get that behind you, then you figure out what's, if there's anything else wrong. Our parents cared for us when we couldn't care for ourselves. And children, adults, folks, friends, everybody, we will never realistically of a day that we should not feel very, very obligated to people who brought us to where we are now. Sometimes we get this very independent attitude as children or adults. Folks, we have an incredible debt to those who care for us and who continue to care for us. Do you ever wonder, children, what it would be like to be to grow up without a mom and dad? How would it be like to grow up without a mom and dad? My brother Arvin and his wife and Mary Sue and I decided to go out and do something yesterday, so well, what are you going to do? So we decided we'd go to the orphanage in Otana. And I don't know if anything I know I, I, I remember not one event in my life that has impacted me more in relation to my appreciating a godly home than visiting the orphanage in Autumn. Children got shipped in on the train from all over. And he went there, some siblings. And they were, some of them were adopted out, some were put out to help work. Um, I read where two siblings, uh, and always the siblings hoped that they would be adopted by the same family. Well, in some cases they were. But this one lady wrote at, in her older years, she was young, I don't know, six, eight maybe. Her and her sister was taken out in the front, and they said, took them out front, and her sister was adopted by someone. And the matron, or the lady in charge or whatever, says, now give your sister a hug before she goes she said I've never seen my sister since I can't imagine that I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that first of all that me and a few siblings would end up in an orphanage with 500 other children and you became a number. And the last thing 
the, the last glue you could say to family at all was to stand there and watch your sibling be adopted and give them one last hug. I, I can't wrap my mind around that. But that's what they did. Christian home. Are you thankful for a Christian home? Are you thankful that your mom and dad woke you up this morning and took you to church? How would it be like to be a child and somebody says something about Jesus and you would say, well, who's that? Not know that Jesus loves you. Not know that God cares about you. Not know. All those things that add stability to our lives. Do you appreciate that your parents respect you as a child? That they care for you? Some don't. The second thing that makes a happy home, there's a lot of them, I don't have very many here this morning. The second thing is to practice obedience. Um, children, you like to be in dangerous places? I mean, dangerous, you like dangerous places? I, I don't like dangerous places. came time to replace the roof on our house and all the, the son-in-laws and sons came and they replaced the house and so I mean the, the roof on the house so I went up and I, I, I mean I just like I think I was well I wasn't really tearing off shingles but it seemed like it I mean I just like hanging on I was like I'm locked up I, I can't I don't like it up here this roof's too steep and it's too high. Now, I'm okay if, I'm, if the roof comes down like the church roof where you can jump off and most likely be all right. But not two stories up. You know if you went over the edge, you're going to end up in the hospital likely. I don't like dangerous places. So obedience gives you a safe place to live, children. Obedience gives us a safe place to live. It's for our good. When dad says stop or mom says stop, it means stop. Don't keep going. Or if they say run, it means run. And we better not dawdle around. My granddaughter. My son-in-law was, I think, tearing out some blocks or something, and he had a trailer full of this concrete blocks, and, and my granddaughter was in front of the wheel of the trailer, and I don't know the sequence anymore, but he pulled the block out of the front of the trailer, and I don't know if the truck wasn't in gear or what the deal was. I, I don't know. But the whole shebang started down the driveway. And he said, Mike, get back! 
And she immediately did what her dad told her. And the tire of the trailer went right where she stood. Obedience is for our safety. When parents say stop, it means stop. When it Adults, if God says stop, it means stop. And stop now. Disobedience cheats us of the goodness of life. God wants us to live fulfilling lives. He wants us to live enjoyable lives. He wants, and so when those over us in authority tell us to do something, then we need to do that. And you may say, "Well, you're the bishop, so you're no, 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 no." Every person answers to another authority, and if they don't, I, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. They had this little debate at Bible school: should you have a conference, or should you have a fellowship, or should you have unaffiliated? So they had this. There's debate going, and I and they're of course they're going around to the minister saying so so what's the advantage of fellowship what's the disadvantage of the conference or whatever I said I'm not sure, but one thing I wouldn't want ever to be, and that is a bishop at an unaffiliated church. No way, there is no way. Now there's people take care of that. I'm getting sidetracked here where unaffiliated churches have the ministers from other affiliated churches to come and they answer to them. Nobody should have the last say. But it's for our good. To live a full and rewarding life, we need to be obedient. We need to do what we're told. So, Obedience is a discipline. And we talk about child discipline. We talk about, we usually refer that to some kind of punishment of some sort. But discipline is the thing that makes our lives successful, children. If a discipline is, uh, one of the disciplines is obedience. And so if dad and mom tell you it's time to go to bed, then it's time to go to bed. And you're better off going to bed. Alright? Because they know, even though you don't know, that if you don't go to bed, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be dragging in school next day, and you're gonna get you can't focus, and you're gonna get poor grades, and so they're saying, It's time to go to bed, and you say, I don't want to go to bed. Time to go to bed. Okay. Why? Because they know better than you do. But see, that's what's going to make you successful in life. When you have the disciplines to do the right thing. And go by what you know is right rather than how you feel you want to do. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody know why people end up in jail?
because they're undisciplined. They got mad at somebody and decided, yeah, I can't stand him. They get a gun and go, boom, and kill him, and they end up in jail. Or they say, you know what? It'd be so much nicer if I could just keep all my money, so I'd cheat on my income tax. And finally, something the government comes along and says, we want to see your income tax papers. We want to see your bank account. We want to see all these things. So you get them out, and they said, oh, wait a minute here. So they put you in jail for cheating. They put you in jail for lying. They put you in jail for speeding. They put you in jail for... Why? Somebody just decided to do their own thing. And the jails are full of them. They won't listen to nobody. And, and as an aside here, you know what the worst thing that you can get jailed for when it comes to being in jail... child molestation. You know what? The criminals of our land understand better than sometimes we do the value of a child. You had better not be imprisoned for molesting a child. Your life will be in danger in prison. They've got to protect you in prison because they will kill you for that. If they have half a chance. Sometimes we look around and say, well, people do this, they do that, and, and, and life is so, it would be so much fun if we could just do what we wanted. I think I've read this before here, I'll read it again. And it's called The Bar. Did you ever hear of a bar, children? Where people go to the bar. You ever hear that? And they drink alcohol and they get drunk. You hear that? Happens all the time. And they have they have what they call the bar. This is a poem written by a prisoner. The bar. A place where strong drink is sold is sometimes called a bar. That's true. A bar to manliness and wealth, a door to want and broken health, a bar to honor, pride and fame, a door to grief and sin and shame, a bar to home, a bar to prayer, a door to darkness and despair, a bar to honored, useful life, a door to brawling, senseless strife. A bar to all that's good and brave. A door to every drunkard's grave. A bar to joys that home imparts. A door to tears and aching hearts. A bar to heaven and a door to hell. Whoever named it, named it well. So children, thank your parents that they expect you to obey. 
You know, your parents... Anybody have parents here the same age as you are? Like anybody here that's like eight have children? I mean, have parents that are eight? Anybody here 30 that has parents that are 30? So, if you think about that, and if you think very far, then parents have been here a lot longer than you have, right? So if they're longer, have been here longer than you have, then they have more experience than you have. You ever do something that turned out really, really bad, and when you, after it was over, you say, you know what, I'll never do that again. You know what that is? That's experience. See, you didn't have the experience before. You didn't know what was going to happen. And so you just went ahead and did it. And then it went really bad. And you got hurt or whatever. And then you say, oh, I'll never do that again. Well, that's experience. See, your parents have a lot more experience. They got their nose bumped. They got their elbow bumped. They got all this stuff. They, they, you know, when the parents say, don't put your hand on the stove, you know why they did that? Probably because they put their hand on the stove. Right? Or they got burned good somewhere or the other. And they know how much it hurts, so they say, don't put it on it. And you say, oh. you look, and you say, ah! Why do we do that? Then you go crying to mom and she has to put bandages on your finger. And she said, I told you not to. And you know what? And probably dad won't discipline because that's you already got your punishment. See, You already got your punishment. See, your parents know where the dangers lie. And for us adults, God knows where the danger lies. And when you go through life, if you're paying attention at all, and you watch people, you watch how they live, and you watch the results of how they live, you can learn a lot. So if your parents are watching people, how they live, and how that has hurt them, and they say to you as a child, don't do that because someone else did it and this is what happened. You see, they're trying to save you a lot of grief. They're trying to save you from going through that. And if you live certain ways... Your life will be headed for heaven, and if you live certain ways, your life will be headed for hell. Okay? And on your parents' way to heaven, they passed a lot of people on the way to hell. And no parent 
in their sane mind would want any of their children to go to hell. Alright? They've watched those people go there and they say, we don't want you to go there. That's why you need to do what's right. That's why you need to obey. They don't want you to end up on the wrong road. Children, adults, thank God for a short rope. If you want to be miserable, I can't even finish this sentence rationally. I was going to say, if you want to be miserable, just have parents that let you do everything you do. Well, you can't really control that. <laughs> All right. Um, the most miserable children, families, family of God, the most miserable children are people who have permissive parents. There is security. There is security in being able to say no when somebody tells you no. There's security in that. And I don't know if you children know this or not, but you want to be told no. See, did you ever think about that? You do. Children who are never told no, they wish they had somebody to tell them yes or no. You see, it takes a whole lot of stress out of our lives. Just tell me yes or no. You've been there already. I'm not sure what to do. I don't have the experience. I've never been there. I don't know what to say. I don't know what. To, just, just tell me what to do. Just say yes or no. Maybe you said that to another dog. I have. Yeah. We as God's people, we as children, we as adults, need to learn to appreciate and to practice self-discipline. Now, teenagers, give me a little advice. If you don't like self-discipline, I mean, if, if, if per chance, I hope there's nobody here like it, but if you don't really like that, I, I would suggest that you start I mean, right away, I mean, as soon as possible. Because if, if you don't have to practice self-discipline now, when you get married, you certainly will. Alright? So, so you're going to be in trouble if you get married and don't know how to practice self-discipline. Because there's two of you, and you've committed yourself to each other, and you just can't walk away, and so you've got to work it out. And that takes self-discipline. That takes self-denial. It takes a lot of things. So, if your parents give you a short rope and say, no, that might be uh, a big step in your marriage. Think about that. Might be a big step in your marriage. Because if your wife says, you know, I really don't like that. 
Or if your husband says, I prefer you not do that. So you're getting a no. You see, there's two ways to respond to that. Well, you can go jump in the lake. Or, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe that isn't as nice as it could be. It's not as kind as it should be, or whatever. Not as considerate. I have item number three. I'll go real, real, real fast down through here. And just for your thoughts, thoughtful stimulation. Enemies of a happy home in our culture is uh, secular humanism, where I can make my decisions. All my answers come within myself. I don't really need God. That is pressing in on, you know, it doesn't. People say it doesn't make sense to do what God says you should do in relation to raising a family or whatever. That's secular humanism. I know better than God. So I'll do it my way rather than God's way. Um, Not understanding the seriousness of a vow. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But it's becoming very prevalent in our culture. Not to put in there till death do us part. Very vaguely worded with lots of space. So they go into marriage thinking, I don't even want to vow this, so we'll we'll just smush this a little bit so that when Things don't go good, and, and, and we can bail, and, and we don't feel so bad about it. Serious of a vow. Keeping yourself only unto your spouse. I will say it's very, I'm going to say vaguely, but it has to do with what you look on the internet. Keeping yourself only unto your spouse as long as you both shall live. Materialism, enemy of a happy home. Thinking that the more we have as a family, the happier we will be. We did that in Sunday school. I don't even have to go there. Then we have all the perversions of our culture. They don't even name them out. They just go LG, whatever, and they just keep adding on to these letters. And folks, I, I, I don't know. What keeps God from pouring out his wrath on our, our country is beyond me. I don't know. Except that it says God's people. I mean, you look at Abraham and and, and Lot and, and Sodom. That that was the hinge point. When God's people start putting all these letters between that and disregard for human life, 
unborn human life, I, I, it, it just it just boggles my mind. Boggles my mind. Technology. We used to just say the television and what comes across the radio. Just technology. And brothers and sisters, this morning our technology must be filtered. It has to be filtered. It must be filtered. I don't know what else to say. And we used to say television was bad in the 50s. I mean, before things really went, you know, it's like years and years ago. Our forefathers stood against that technology. And it was nothing toward it is now. And the television isn't anything toward the Internet. And we can sit here and we can possibly dawdle around and spin our little fingers and say, I don't need a filter. I will be kind and will be careful. But brothers and sisters this morning, I think God expects a lot from us when it comes to that. And we do well. We cannot afford the results of failure in this area. Entertainment technology is the last one I have. It's interesting. In the... If, if you as parents are wondering where our young people are struggling, one of the areas that our, young, our youth are struggling today is to differentiate between worship and entertainment. And that's coming out in Bible school classes. They're saying, what is the difference between worship and entertainment? Now you may frown and you say, why would that be? But it has something to do with technology. And and we need to know the difference between worship and entertainment if we're going to continue to uphold a biblical Anabaptist church. We got to know the difference. Anyhow, I'll put. I'm just putting that out to, for you to think about. So this kind of wraps things up here for the children part. Children, bless your parents. Bless your parents. Now, you might not have to just go up to them and say, bless you, Mom, or bless you, Dad, or whatever. That's all right if you want to. You know, that might surprise them a little bit, but it would be good to say, just bless you, Dad, or bless you, Mom, or whatever. You can do that, but you can bless them in so many ways. Simple ways. When they say, do this, you do it. When they say, stop, don't. And when they... And when they take you to church, or when they compliment you for doing what's right, 
the See, it's all not mom and dad's part, just mom and dad's part to make a happy home. It takes everybody working together because that's what a home is. Mom, dad, and all the children. And God loves it when we as God's people can show to the people around us that there is a way to have happiness in our homes. And my guess is that that will pre probably be one of the most profound ways that we as God's people can impact our culture for Jesus Christ. They can have a lot of things. They can do a lot of things. They can have a lot of freedoms. They can do all these things. But everybody wants a happy home. Everybody. And I don't care who it is. Everybody wants a happy home. Whether they're willing to pay the price for it or not is something else. But everybody wants a happy home. Let's pray.